What advice would you give aspiring young scientists who are embarking on their scientific journeys? Don't listen to advice. (laughs) 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 You know, I think think, there's a little bit of a variant of that question. And that that is, that variant is how do you get a Nobel Prize? <laughs> <laughs> and I have a, a very definite answer to that, and that is I have not a clue of how to do it, and I don't think anyone else, hardly anyone else, has either. Because if we knew, if the Nobel laureates knew how to get a Nobel Prize, it is such a wonderful party. It's so great that we would have gotten our second and third by now. Welcome to the 71st episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jaron. Hi. For our 17th episode, we wanted to do something special. So we invited Nobel Prize laureate Professor Martin Chalfi to be our guest. His groundbreaking work with the green fluorescent protein, also known as GFP, has revolutionized the way we understand the inner workings of living organisms. And since he was kind enough to talk with us for over an hour, this episode will be split into two parts. In episode 70, we ask him all of our questions about his scientific career, how we almost decided he was not cut out to be a scientist, and of course, his discovery about using GFP as a marker. In episode 71, we'll talk about the impact winning a Nobel Prize has on your life and how he missed the announcement of his own Nobel Prize. He has a lot of amazing stories to tell, so let's start. So in episode 70, we started our interview with Nobel laureate Professor Martin Chalfi. We talked about his scientific career and all the struggles that came with it. How he almost decided he was not cut out for a scientific career after months of failed experiments, and about all the factors that led up to his scientific discovery of GFB as a marker. And now we'll continue our interview with Professor Martin Chalfi. So following the publication of your landmark paper, how was it actually received? Did you have already the feeling that this was going to be potentially Nobel Prize worthy uh, or not? You know, I don't think I I thought about it as Nobel Prize Mm. or prize worthy. I just thought it was going to be a very useful tool. Mm. Um, and I was a little bit surprised. There, there were a couple of reactions that I, I, was, I was not really, I think, prepared for. Mm. Um, and so going back even to that first seminar, I was exceptionally excited about GFP as a potential uh, thing. And nobody else in the room was. Mm. And I, 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 I've been trying to think about why weren't other people excited? Was it because most of the people in the room were neurobiologists? Or was it because they all worked on animals that weren't transparent? And I suspect that was the main thing. Oh, here's some interesting fact. But I'm working on a transparent animal. And someone's just giving me a light bulb. But this is, I'm, I'm really excited. But... When our experiments started working, I think basically everybody in my department knew about the work. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to use it. Yeah. No, one, no one came to me and said, can we use it? Except uh, Tula, my wife, uh, wanted to use it for her own experiments and saw the, the importance of it immediately. 
It wasn't the, I mean, she said, yeah, and she got excited. She used it as a tool, but the rest of the people didn't. And so it was a little slow. Um, I think see elegance people, you know, once we show, you know, we actually, the official paper came out in September. I'm uh, sorry, in February, but in October of 1993, so before the paper, we had a one-page description of GFP for the uh, what we call the Worm Breeders Gazette, which is sort of the CL against newsletter, and we were sending out samples all over the place. Mm-hmm. People were reading this, so that was really the first public announcement of it. And we were sending things away to the CL against people, and then more and more people would start calling us mm-hmm. and say, "I've I've heard about this." Interestingly, they usually started this phone call by saying, my postdoc or my graduate student tells me you have this new technique. Uh, what, should, what is it and should we get it? And then they'd agree. But, and, and that continued after the paper was published. But people picked, uh, you know, uh, it, I think it really was graduate students and postdocs that pushed the idea, here's a new technology, we can mm-hmm. go and use this. Uh, this is exciting. Um, there were plenty of other people that did as well. I don't, don't want to disparage anything. <laughs> uh, there, were, uh, there was one person who called me up and said, uh, Do you, did, has anyone done, as many people have has anyone put GFP yet in X, whatever mm-hmm. they were studying? And I'd say, no. Most of them say, great, I want it. Every once in a while, you get somebody saying, I'll wait till they do it. <laughs> and I'm a little surprised at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was exceptionally naive about biotech. Mm-hmm. I had uh, this very naive uh, idea that companies had this magic place called the Division of Research and Development, R&D. And I thought for sure that a company was going to say, this is such an obvious tool. This is so, you know, there's going to be so many uses for this. We want to develop it. We want to make it make it stronger, get different colors. We want, you know, we want to do all the modifications. And I learned to my, frankly, horror that companies love to license things, but they didn't want to develop them. Mm. And uh, so the development actually was done by other academic scientists. And that I found very surprising. I thought there'd be some place that had 100 chemists or molecular biologists, and they'd just go to town, and in about a couple of weeks, they have all the modifications and everything had been made. But that really didn't happen. There was one company in Denmark that was sort of set up to do something like that. Mm. But for the most part, no. And I, I found that a little disheartening, but, you know, I learned. Also, their loss, they could have made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So we're skipping ahead a few years now. Uh, GFP was already being widely used at that point for many, many practices. Uh, and then you were awarded the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 2008. How did you hear that you had won the Nobel Prize and how did you react? Well, the, the fun story is that the, it, it goes back a couple of years before the Nobel was announced, my, my Nobel was announced, where there had been well-meaning friends who had said to me, you know, GFP is pretty important. We think it might get a Nobel Prize. <laughs> now, if you're an idiot and somebody says that to you, you get all pumped up and excited <laughs> and you can't sleep the night before that supposed announcement is going to be done. And so you lose a night's sleep and they don't call. So um, I was a fool. I had stayed up because I had gotten excited about wonder. Oh, I got to be awake for the phone call. That's that's really important. So, in two thousand and eight, on the Tuesday night before the announcement of the chemistry prize, I got an email from a student in China, and in the email, he asked for a copy of the of the PDF, the science paper. And in his email, he said, tomorrow is going to be the chemistry prize. And my friends and I really hope that it's going to go to Shimamura and Chen. <laughs> and I looked, and my name's not there. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I look, read the thing several times, and I write him back, and I say, uh, here's the PDF. You know... They can have three people. And, uh, <laughs> what about Douglas Crasher? Or, you know, mm -hmm. there's other people. Or Tula Hazelrig, my wife. Or, mm -hmm. And he, he writes back and he says, no, uh, actually, because of his Chinese descent, we're really hoping Roger Chen gets it. Mm -hmm. I was out of the picture entirely. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, I went to, I, I, I thought this was hilarious. And so I, I showed the emails to my wife, who was already said is, is very important in getting GFP to be useful. And uh, Tula looked at me, remembering the nights that I had gone sleepless and there had not been a phone call, and, and just looked at me and said, Marty, GFP has been a very, very useful tool. It is a wonderful thing. Many people use it. But I have to tell you the truth. It is never going to get a Nobel Prize. So just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did. And uh, we live in an apartment in New York City. And uh, the phone uh, was in the kitchen. There are two closed doors between our bedroom and, and where the phone was. And through some craziness, I had all, already, uh, I had done something to the phone. So the ring was quite soft anyway. Mm -hmm. Slept through the entire phone call. Missed it. Absolutely. Woke up at around 
6.30, 6.20 in the morning and realized that there must have already been a Nobel announcement. Mm. So I happened to have my laptop near the bed and I opened it up and I went to the NobelPrize.org website to see who the winners were. It's a shock when you see your own name in that <laughs> list. And I was very surprised. I, I, I woke up Tula and I said, look. <laughs> I said, no. I said, it happened. And she immediately jumped out of bed. I said, oh, no. And because she thought what I meant was that our teenage daughter had overslept and had not <laughs> high school, and that we had to get her to high school soon. I said, no, 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 she doesn't have to wake up for another 10 minutes or so. No, look, here. <laughs> I showed her the thing. And then there was more jumping around. <laughs> and, and stuff. So that was the, so I missed the announcement. Mm. Uh, but uh, uh, We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. But it was a, a wonderful day. Mm. I can imagine, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, and it's a wonderful party, uh, <laughs> wonderful celebration. It's the, the Nobel is, I think, unique in that an entire country takes off a week to celebrate academic achievement. Mm. And that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. That uh, and so it, it's quite wonderful. I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get one, please do. You're going to. I imagine your life must have gotten quite well, even busier with all the interviews and and such. Uh, with the announcement after the announcement was made about the Nobel Prize. Looking back, were there moments where you could just sort of appreciate the fact that you had just become a Nobel laureate, or was it all so busy and hectic that you, yeah, you couldn't really take the time to appreciate it? No, you you get a chance to slow down and and uh, you know, I 
as I've sort of indicated, I have people at home, my daughter, my <laughs> wife, who make sure I know when, I'm, <laughs> when, when my head's swelling too much. Um, <laughs> and uh, you, know, you get a check on reality. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a surprise. Uh, uh, and a very enjoyable one. Mm -hmm. uh, and the and unimaginable consequences mm -hmm. of of having this happen. You get invited to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you you get um invited to talk to students. You get uh I I I have been Fortunate to be asked and actually elected as uh, the president of the Society for Developmental Biology and uh, just finishing up as past president now of the American Society for Cell Biology. And those opportunities to serve, I don't think, would have come hmm. my way without the visibility that the Nobel has given me. I don't think my involvement with the Committee on Human Rights mm -hmm. would have been uh, enabled had I not been able to, uh, uh, that I didn't have this visibility that adds to our work, if we can say it. Mm -hmm. We sometimes try to get in touch with uh, different foreign embassies mm -hmm. to talk about cases that we're concerned about. and. It's a little easier to get through the door if we say, well, you know, the, the chair, the chair of the committee is coming. He has a Nobel Prize, and, and I have had people say, you know, you're the second Nobel Prize winner we've talked to. Right? <laughs> and so, if it gets us in the door, if it gets people to listen, I think that's wonderful. It's an appropriate use of uh, of the uh, visibility. There are things that I find surprising. There are some people that uh, want to take advantage. You have to be a little careful. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, people uh, want to use the Nobel. You have to be a little vigilant. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, but it's growing up. <laughs> you learn. <laughs> you learn a few more things as you go through this. Uh, but I think, by and large, it's been wonderful. I think one of the really fantastic things has been being able to work uh, and talk with as many students as we do, um, as I've been able to have an opportunity to. Uh, we have a course here for undergraduates. Uh, we have a series of courses we call the core at Columbia. And uh, starting about 12, 15 years ago, we, uh, one of the core courses was in science. And for the last four or five years, I've been asked to talk to all the freshmen undergraduates in, in, in the course. And it's really interesting. It's really fascinating to see their excitement and what they're interested in. And um, so the, the, the Nobel has given me an opportunity uh, to reach out. Mm -hmm. There's been a little bit of a push to reach out too, because you feel, well, you know, now I should be doing something. I should be <laughs> contributing 
more than maybe I have in the past. So it's not only that you have the opportunity, that you also feel a little bit of an obligation, a thank you to to everybody about uh, what's really been a wonderful career. It sounds like the Nobel Prize has impacted your uh, life quite a bit. Has it also influenced uh, the direction of your scientific endeavors at all? Not really. Um, as I, I said before, before we worked with GFP, I was interested in nerve cell development and mechanosensation, genetics of both. And we continue to work on that. Mm. We work on different aspects of it. But the prize itself has not changed anything. I, I like to say, you know, we did the experiments in 92, published them in 94, but the prize wasn't until 2008. I wasn't sitting on my hands waiting yeah, for the yeah, prize. Sure. I was doing those other experiments, and we still do those other experiments. And, uh, so um, it, it, it hasn't. Um, that's not to say that there may be times to think about, you know, what other directions should, should this be going in? Where, where how, I think one of the things, because there are a lot of demands on one's time, that it's not so much that the experiments go in a different direction, as much as there are suddenly many more opportunities mm. And so what are your priorities? And I'm still trying to come up with that and, and to think about that. I'm, I'm actually technically on sabbatical this year. and I'm going to spend the spring, I think, really thinking about how I want to proportion things, catch up on my reading and talk about other experiments and so on. But I, I think that uh, it does put a spotlight on you. And that spotlight can either be overwhelming, some people ignore it entirely. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a variety of uh, approaches. And also, this doesn't come when you're so young. <laughs> and so that part of, the, part of the thinking, I don't know if it's the Nobel or thinking about where do I want the lab to go in the next five years? What, what do I want to accomplish? Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. So maybe to touch on a little bit of what you just already sort of alluded to. Um, so I think many researchers, maybe not so secretly, dream one day of winning the Nobel Prize. But it's it can't all, it's what you sort of already alluded to. It's not all upside. There There also is some sort of hidden cost or opportunity costs that come with it, I guess, that many researchers probably don't think about. Um, such as their time, the opportunities that they do need to say no to or, or yes to. Uh, are there any other sort of hidden costs that you didn't expect when you got the Nobel Prize, I guess, that came up? No. I, one other advantage to just add to it is I've mm. had an opportunity to travel to places I've never been before. Mm. And uh, that opportunity has been wonderful. And it, it, it continues. And I enjoy that very much, meeting people all over the world. But yes, you have to judge your time. Uh, I, 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 
I did allude to the fact that uh, there are sometimes requests that are a little too good. Mm. <laughs> you have to be a, a little bit um, uh, more careful about mm. in, in terms of, of what you're, uh, you're doing. Um, but I, by and large, not really any down <laughs> bad parts to it. I mean, unless I, I, I like to complain as much as anyone else. Because <laughs> it's a very hard thing to complain about. You sort of no longer have a license to complain, uh, maybe <laughs> privately, but uh, it's uh, it, it 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 is very nice. There are a couple things that people. I, I, I think that when we think about the Nobel, we, or maybe I'm talking about myself before, we put it on a pedestal. It is what we consider sort of an ultimate accolade of what we could aspire to. And because of that, I feel that we put all of our hopes and dreams mm. on that, that Nobel laureate. So the, the way I, I like to put it is that I think people feel that there are two long lines of people outside my laboratory door. One line is a bunch of people with bags of money that have, are coming to me and saying, oh, I really want to support your research. Here's Here's another million dollars, uh, set up this or do this. And there are, there's nobody like that outside my door. Mm. No, they don't, they don't come and, and, and throw money at you. Um, my experience, many, many experiences of people that have gotten Nobel, maybe the grant reviews are a little harder. You know, <laughs> what have you done lately sort of thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, the other thing is that they think, oh, there must also be a long line of people that are clamoring to come to your lab. I haven't seen that either. Mm. I don't know. Some people are uh, threatened, mm. uh, think that they will be judged harshly mm. or, or whatever. But all the things, so these are the things, you know, people always want to have people in their labs and they want to have funding and they want to get have their papers accepted immediately, uh, all these wonderful things. And so I think people imagine that must happen to the Nobel laureates, because if it doesn't happen to them, we're all doomed. Yes. <laughs> None of us are, are in any good shape. If they don't, if everything perfect doesn't happen for them, then it's not going to happen for anybody. But that's not really true. But no, those things don't happen. Uh, uh, you become uh, quite normal <laughs> after after the prize, except you do get wonderful invitations mm. to interact with people. Okay, okay. Um, now, we also found on your Wikipedia page uh, that you recently, this year, received an honorary degree in physics from the University of Parma. Um, as far as we could find, you have not attended this university, neither worked there. How, how does something like this happen? And um, secondly, did, do opportunities like that uh, now just, just happen often? Or is this a, a special one? Or 
So this is a special one. But uh, the, yes, these opportunities do come up periodically. I, I think I have uh, something on the order of about eight honorary degrees from various places. Um, some of them have uh, you know, one or one or two of them. I, uh, one Middlebury College uh, is one that stands out in, in my mind. I, I had a former graduate student who worked, who was a professor there. He invited me to come and talk, and I gave a talk there. And uh, had a wonderful conversation with the president of the college <laughs> and just had a wonderful visit. And then it was very surprising that, uh, you know, six, eight months later, he said, well, you're getting a, an honor. <laughs> uh, so I must, I must not have annoyed too many people. <laughs> and, uh, so that happened. The... Uh, Cristiano Vapiani at at the University of Parma was the person who initiated this. Um, One of the wonderful, absolutely wonderful experiences I have had is I got an invitation soon after the Nobel was announced or in that year to attend the European Biophysics Meeting, which was in Genoa. And Cristiano was there, and other people, and particularly a man named Alberto Diaspora. And these are all people that worked with Albi. Albi is one of the great people in the world, unbelievably nice guy. And uh, I have a relationship with the Italian Institute of Technology with, where he is, and, and it's in Genoa, and I go there every year because we have a science advisory board meeting. Uh, And just that entire group of people that worked on microscopy and and fluorescence and stuff have been unbelievably kind to me. And Cristiano arranged for this, or nominated me for this honorary degree in (laughs) physics, which I don't deserve. and uh, arranged for that. And it was a very nice ceremony. I have no idea who put that on the Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I don't put any, I don't. I, I used to read the Wikipedia page to see how many mistakes there were. Because I could, this sounds horrible. But when people would introduce me because of the mistakes in the Wikipedia page, I could tell where they got their information <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was sort of a little joke on that I enjoyed, but uh, but yes, I have an honorary degree in physics now. Oh, that's uh, so much fun. <laughs> it's astonishing. <laughs> so I'm, I might want to touch on just a little bit more on GFP very quickly, if that's okay. Sure. So GFP and its related proteins are now being sort of widely used in research. Did you expect it to develop as far as it has? And what development are you most impressed by or proud of when it comes to GFP so far? So the answer to that is I don't think anyone can imagine all the wonderful applications that people can come up with. 
Uh, I have had several over the years that I've that have been my favorites uh, of this. I don't think there's any one. Uh, there are results. I think the discovery of phase separated particles mm -hmm. uh, uh, is uh, Tony Hyman and Cliff Brangwen. Uh, I, I think it was, it was an astonishing discovery to be able to visualize that uh, in, in cells, in C. elegans, uh, I think was a wonderful use of GFB. Um, I have always uh, liked the idea uh, uh, of GFP as a marker for TNT that leaks out of landmines as a way of detecting landmines. Uh, but uh, still not at a stage, I think, where it's mm. as useful as it could be. You don't want to have any false negatives. <laughs> but uh, um, there, one, one result that I, I particularly uh, was intrigued about, Jeff Waldo at Los Alamos Labs uh, did a really interesting experiment. The logic behind it is, is just wonderful. He was interested in monitoring protein folding. Now, one of the problems of trying to grow up a lot of protein in E. coli, for example, is that the protein will be made, the hydrophobic regions will glom together, you get a precipitate in the cell, you don't get the properly folded protein. And these aggregates are a problem because then you have to solubilize them, hopefully re allow the thing to reform. And so Jeff did this wonderful experiment where he took a protein he was interested in and he then added the coding sequence for GFP. So he made a fusion protein of these, these two things. And then once he did that, of course it didn't, what happened was the protein didn't fold up appropriately. GFP would then not fold up appropriately. And so he reasoned if he mutated the original protein, maybe he would be able to find some combination of mutations that would allow the original protein to fold correctly. If it did, then the GFP could fold correctly and you'd see fluorescence. Mm -hmm. And so he basically made a library of all the different variants he could come up with. He mutagenized the, the, the DNA and then just put them in E. coli and look for the E. coli that were green because those are the ones where the protein had to fold up first before the GFP folded up. And, and produced a fluorescent product. So you had a wonderful way of monitoring protein folding. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought that's just a fantastic idea. I think that Lynn Regan's uh, work showing that you could cut GFP in half, put the two halves on things that will come together and reconstitute the GFP is, is astonishing. And uh, that these two component systems, I think all the work started by Roger Chen of first using FRET and then 
as people use single molecule uh, methods to bring things together to detect calcium and other molecular monitors. These are all wonderful ideas. So there's no one idea. There are great results. There are wonderful ideas. And I, these go way beyond anything I would have imagined. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's, it's wonderful. But virtually every discovery leads to more, every basic discovery leads to more basic discoveries <laughs> and a lot more applications and everything. Look at the laser. When Charles Towns made the maser, that nobody came up to him and said, you know, we want to make CDs or DVDs or mm. we, we work in a grocery store. We want to have something that will help us check out the food faster. Uh, or I'm a surgeon. I want to do surgery. I need a really detailed way of being, being able to do the surgery. These all came after and they're quite remarkable. Look at all the stuff that's coming now out of CRISPR-Cas9. Mm. Uh, the discovery, the initial things come out, and then it explodes <laughs> in, in many directions, getting new techniques, but also new knowledge. Laser, going back to that, spaces, ultra-cold, uh, gravity waves, laser tweezers, all sorts of wonderful things that have led in their terms to other discoveries. So... Uh, no, I didn't imagine most of these <laughs> but I'm very happy for them. Very happy that they they have happened. Yes, I think also great great progress for science. Pretty amazing. Um, what advice would you give aspiring young scientists who are embarking on their scientific journeys, especially in the context of exploring new frontiers in biomedical sciences? Don't listen to advice. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, I, I, there's a little bit of a variant of that question. And that, that, is, that variant is, how do you get a Nobel Prize? <laughs> and I have a, a very definite answer to that. And that is, I have not a clue of how to do it. And I don't think anyone else, hardly anyone else has either, because if we knew, if the Nobel laureates knew how to get a Nobel Prize, it is such a wonderful party. It's so great that we would have gotten our second and third by now. But none of us, or hardly any of us, Red Sanger being an exception, we don't have a second Nobel Prize. <laughs> we have no idea how to do it. So um, I, I will, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to rail about something that I think we tell talented students at all stages. We say, follow your passion. Okay. I hate the phrase. I'm going to tell you why I hate it. If someone had said it to me, I'll tell you exactly what I would have said to them. I would have said, I don't know what my passion is. Mm -hmm. And I'm really afraid I'm going to take the wrong path. Tell me what my passion is. Because I don't want to make a mistake. 
So I think all we do by saying, follow your passion, is scare the hell out of people. So I think what we really mean to say is, it really doesn't make any difference. Be passionate. <laughs> Be excited about what you're doing. Go into it totally. Don't hold yourself back. But then again, almost all advice, you're not telling it to other people. You're basically telling it to your younger self. So <laughs> that should be taken with a grain of salt uh, on this. I think, but I, but I think being involved is important. And I, I do wish I had been more involved earlier in my life. But I, I can't complain. Still plenty of time. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today and answering our uh, questions. Is there anything we have not asked you that you would still like to mention? No, I think we've covered it quite a lot. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, then it was an honor to talk to you and we hope many scientists will be inspired by your story. Yes. Well, I had a, a wonderful time. Thank you both for doing this. <laughs> yes. Take um, care. For our listeners... Uh, if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, you can reach out to us via this, our website, thestrugglingscientist.com. You can also check out our website to sign up for the awesome Journal of Struggling Scientists, aka our newsletter. Um, and if you have enjoyed uh, this episode, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform, as it helps us grow and reach out to more struggling scientists out there. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. Jaron, which ones are those again? X, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Yes. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you again next time. Bye. 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 Yes.